We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we've been discussing on today's program some of the delineation of powers during a crisis such as what we're facing right now. And while, ironically, many look to the feds to step in and to exercise authority, it is very clear constitutionally that much of the responsibility for how we manage a health care crisis like this, while the federal government can play a major role, the real decision-making takes place at the state level. That maybe helps us understand why we have 12 states of the Union that have exempted religious gatherings from the so-called shelter-in-place orders. But in spite of this, there remains a lot of confusion. In some places, we're hearing about churches and pastors that are being cited for continuing to hold services in spite of the shelter-in-place orders. Many people say it's a matter of First Amendment rights, but then what of the greater good for the health of the community? And where where does the line of demarcation really really get established? Well, with some insights, we're joined by constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. And Brad, I know that you've been working diligently on this very topic because it raises so many questions. Under the guise of the Emergency Services Act, um, certainly the state has a compelling reason under extreme peril to exercise its authority in order to protect the greater welfare of the public. But even at that, constitutionally, there are limitations, are there not? Oh, there certainly are. In fact, uh, the act itself uh, exempts uh, and recognizes uh, the right to to people to bear arms, so the government can't use that to take uh, guns from people, uh, for example. Uh, It also respects the First Amendment rights for uh, freedom of the press and for media to be continue to uh, to put out information so they can't come in and just close down KFACs and and uh, the, the newspapers, et cetera. Um, so even that has protections because of the Constitution. Um, the uh, But there also is something that's, you know, we have it on a state level. I'm glad you made that differentiation because there are some things that the federal government does well. It's coordinating research uh, with, with private companies, doing an excellent job with that. Uh, but the fact that this varies among the states in different degrees means we can have different degrees of, of liberty and freedom be, depending on the the, uh, com- the degree of a compelling state interest to deny that freedom. Uh, the government has to have has the burden, always, Craig, uh, to show that they have a compelling state interest that's narrowly tailored, uh, any restrictions they have that are narrowly, narrowly tailored uh, to further that interest before they can in any way infringe upon a fundamental like like religious freedom. And we at Pacific Justice are watching very closely how these uh, restrictions are being implemented, and on a day-by-day basis, uh, whether or not they uh, should be uh, tested uh, at some time. 
Now, in states like California, certainly others that are in the hot zone like New York, Washington, um, whose governors have said, look, in an effort to try and slow the spread, we are closing down parks, we're closing down schools, we're telling everybody other than those in essential services categories to stay home for X number of days. It's all part of the greater good to try and get a handle on this to protect the health of the public. Now, mm-hmm. those of us sitting here in California may look at a state like Wyoming that says, you know, uh, we don't need to take quite such draconian measures. There's a lot of territory where we're practicing <laughs> our social distancing by making sure our houses are two miles apart when we buy them in the first place. And so we might look at another state and say, how come they get to when we don't? But it really then comes down to a matter of not necessarily differing civil liberties, but differing compelling interests based on a set of circumstances unique to a locality. Is that correct? That's correct. You have what's happening right now, for example, like, and then you also have uh, the, 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 the risk of something happening in the future. In Wyoming, you have a relatively lower risk because they are spread out, and doesn't take uh, as much of a burden on them to uh, control the virus as, uh, say, downtown uh, San Francisco you know, or L.A. And, uh, and so that's, that's real important. Um, even in a state, uh, states can differentiate between uh, counties. Uh, they have that they have the freedom to do that, and, uh, and they should look at it because uh, any restrictions they place uh, can also not only infringe upon an entity's religious freedoms like churches, but also on economic liberty and economic impact. Uh, and uh, that continual balancing of those uh, needs to be in the equation. And I'm really glad that, that so far President Trump uh, and his uh, staff have apparently uh, have really made an effort to try to, uh, to keep that balance uh, somewhat in perspective, uh, although it's been very painful on the economic side uh, today. To be sure. Now, critical question for local pastors who have seen cases in Louisiana, in Florida, where pastors have been cited for leaving church services open, contrary to the shelter-in-place orders, not being able to comply with uh, you know no more than 50, in California's case, 10 people gathered together, six feet apart, etc., etc. Um, you know, th- there is certainly the 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 spiritual mandate for the church to not um, uh, forego its responsibility to to worship together. I get that. There are First Amendment issues involved here. I get that too. I guess the big question becomes: um, Is there a moral imperative that church leaders need to be aware of that while they might say in good conscience, "I don't feel right about canceling a worship service." Nevertheless, is there a moral imperative? And behind that, is there any potential liability if a church decides to go ahead and carry on a church service regardless? And does that liability lie solely with the person who decides to cross the threshold and voluntarily go to church and participate versus the church itself having some apparent possible liability? Yeah, they both actually can have liability. Uh, In fact, there are four examples of four churches uh, that have had church services and had people die in their church because they had their church service. Um, it's that clear cut, and unfortunately, it opens the door, Craig. When churches do that, just a few, it opens the door uh, to a very angry society. When the fatalities increase, they're going to want to blame someone, and we made that mistake. Uh, we've seen that happen before, 
when we when the church in Rome didn't do anything when Rome burned, they blamed the Christians and they weren't at fault. We give them anything to be to blame us with. Uh, it's going to be it can be very counterproductive. I do something very positive. I want to make sure I let churches know about, it, if I may. Uh, Thursday, this Thursday, uh, we have a conference call, and they can go to our website for businesses, churches, and Christian schools on how they can uh, financially uh, benefit from the CARES Act, the federal statute. It's going to be a conference call. It's going to be very clear. We have a lot of resources on our webpage, but we're going to be able to help churches across the United States as well as business owners and Christian private schools. It's, um, I just had to mention that, and they go to get that on our webpage and register for that, but it's extremely valuable, it's ex- and it's going to be very, very helpful for financial relief for uh, businesses, schools, and churches. And again, information available about that webinar coming up, or are available, I'm rather, on the Pacific Justice website. Is that clear there on the homepage where folks need yes. to go to register? Yes, that's right. All right. Well, that's reason to do while we still have uh, positions, uh, places open. Yes. All right. And again, you can just go to, to pacificjustice.org to get more information and to register. That's pacificjustice.org. Counselor, final question before I have to cut you loose here. Um, we talk about the issue of liability. Uh, some churches have liability insurance in place. If the chandelier falls and somebody gets injured, things of this sort. Um, I, I would wonder whether or not it would be important for churches right now who do decide to keep the doors open, who are looking maybe forward to an Easter Sunday worship service and having people coming in, uh, you know, do they have to sign waivers uh, at the door when they come in to make sure that the church doesn't find itself in some kind of financial liability? And is it important that they look at their liability insurance, if they have any, to make sure that they're not putting themselves in grave risk because there might be some sort of exclusion based on this sort of uh, activity? Yeah, they, they should look at their insurance policy. But I will say right now that many insurance policies uh, do not cover churches if they are engaged in violating the law, in knowingly and willingly in violating the law. And I, that's the problem here. It's very clear what the mandate is. If they violate that, they could be bringing on some tremendous liability for them, uh, not to mention just their, their church and their reputation. They can still be sued by private parties. Uh, by someone related to someone who dies on the allegation that they shouldn't have been meeting, and they got it. So there's a, there's a lot of problems. Um, we at Pacific Justice are here to provide free legal counsel to any church, any institution uh, that uh, has uh, any doubts or concerns. And, of course, we encourage them all to do everything they can uh, to uh, maintain uh, safety and health uh, uh, regarding distancing and, and, uh, and, the, and the like. To be sure, it's a bit of a, a minefield right now because it's all new to us and we're trying to sort of navigate this to make sure we're doing what's best for the sake of parishioners, what's best for the sake of the church, the kingdom, and everyone involved. Information again about that special webinar coming up on Thursday. Go to the website, which is pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. You can register and to get more information available to you online and very timely, particularly given the fact that so many churches, schools right now are facing very unique fiscal challenges because of the impact on giving. There's Brad Dacus, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Information online at pacificjustice.org. All right, quickly, let's pivot. There's another issue at hand here. We touched on this uh, off and on over the last several weeks with so many things that are being shut down during the course of the coronavirus and so many new regulations coming in place to protect health and to prevent the loss of life. Sadly, there's one business, there's one industry in the state of California that seems to be 
clearly exempt from all of this, and troublingly so. Joining me now is Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. And, uh, Brian, the, the thought that the governor, of all the topics, all of the arenas of health care, that uh, would say, hey, we need to make sure we're doing everything that we can at every level to practice social distancing and to protect lives, this one seems to be not an, in, not an oversight, but an intentional oversight. Oh, it's much more than that, Craig, and we have found out much more now regarding the sacred view of abortion that the governor and the state of California, under the Democrat Party ideology, have taken of abortion. We received, through a Freedom of Information Act request, response from the Department of Health Services that admits the state of California pays for abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, regardless of any condition of the mother, there need not be any medical condition. There need not be any medical condition of the child. That is paid for, and that's an ink from the Department of Health Services. You and I know the intellectual dishonesty of the media. Oh, well, Roe, just, it's just limited. No, the state of California admits there's no limit on abortion and for reasons that abortion are done at any time, for any reason, or no reason in particular. It's, that's what choice means. That's an important element right now because the second thing we now know from the state of California, you can see this online from the law books, is that two years ago, all sanitary and regulatory regulation and oversight of abortion clinics have been removed. Wow. I'll say that again. There are no regulations of abortion in California because, of course, it's choice. We can't regulate choice. But this includes sanitary guidelines that, in fact, they're just free to do whatever they want. And what we have is a situation that the governor, in the name of, again, he has saluted and vowed. He has made a vow as if it were a sacred vow. Choice is the essential ideology now of this government. And by choice, he means killing that baby for any reason or no reason in particular. You cannot trammel these businesses. You can check this out. Go to the abortion law regulations, and we've posted that at California Pro-Life. There are no abortion regulations. It's stunning, but true. If you go to the veterinary regulations for California, they are pages and pages to keep your pet safe. The cleanliness standard. The fact is, regulations are good for... And again, some people think, well, yeah, but it shouldn't be regulated. Restaurants are regulated. Aren't you glad there are cleanliness standards at restaurants? Because a lot of people would get sick. Apparently that's where this illness, that's one of the things they say, is that, yeah, food can make you sick. But abortion now, no, you will not even regulate that. This is a stunning situation when the governor then demands that there be no, there be no limit on this. Abortions are continuing, and yet in the era of the COVID virus, he is well aware because these are his laws. They have no cleanliness standard. And unless people realize how abortion has become so central to the ideology of the progressive left, it is so central. And the, the mantra is people don't think about what it means. When people use the word choice, We've been trained by the media to think, well, that's just for limited service. It's just early, early on abortion. No, baby's big enough to hold in your arm. The state has said, in ink, the state has now said, it pays for that with your tax money.
But the fact that these are unregulated facilities, this is stunning. And unless we awaken to this, and this is why we're going to keep making this point, because the media doesn't want to cover it. You may have seen our press release earlier. No media cover. They want to cover other things. Oh, the COVID, COVID virus. COVID. We have the sky's falling, sky's falling. They're chasing other things. They do not want to look at what is meant by this and the fact that the governor is spreading not just the culture of death and abortion, but he is spreading disease and death, literally disease and death. If every other business is closed, but not an abortion business, and that there be no trammeling, no regulation, but what, not even cleanliness? I thought the whole goal was to keep these abortions clean out of the back alley. There's no regulations. It is stunning. And again, if you compare California law that cares for your pet and any surgical procedure on your pet, much more stringent, much more severe. So this is alarming. We've been trying to get through the do continue to try. Many of you have. I had someone call me today, and they spent hours and hours on the phone. The emails don't, they bounce back. The governor is ignoring this issue, but this is a time now when the truth is being made known, and I find it stunning and significant. The truth is being made known by the state, and again, you, at California Pro-Life Council, you can link to these statements in ink and to the web pages where these laws are published and under all the abortion regulations, repealed, repealed, repealed. And that was done in the name of freedom of choice. You know, and what's absolutely shocking about all of this right now is that at a time when we're facing a significant health crisis, you think that there would be an effort to make sure that in every business at every level that there are certain safeguards put in. I understand that from an abortionist standpoint, there's always loss of life, and that's the intent of abortion. But that's to the right. point where they're completely disregarding even the life of the mother at the same token really shows you just how far aspects of this state are willing to go in an effort to try and defend the, the abortion issue at all costs, no matter what, no matter who may potentially suffer beyond just that of the child itself. More information available on the web. And uh, as Brian mentioned, links there, too, to the, um, to the laws. And you can see exactly for yourself where this governor, where this state stands on the issue of you paying for abortion, complete and unfettered, all nine months, no protections in there for clinics and women whatsoever. Online at californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. All right, we're way late. Gets, uh, let's get caught up in some traffic here, shall we? We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for a look at the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. When you think about all the layers of American life that has been interrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic, they are numerous, they are gargantuan, and they probably reach into aspects of daily life that you and I seldom ever think about. And yet the impact can be significant and severe. For example, have you thought for a moment about what happens to the nation's children who are currently in crises? I'm talking about kids that are in foster parenting. Perhaps they've been recently removed from a home. Maybe there's been cases of abuse or neglect. Children that are on the vulnerable edges of our society today, those most at risk in a time when social workers can't get out to do visits, courts are not open to have 
discussions about what's the best disposition for a child. To be sure, it's a mess, and it could only get worse as time goes along. To offer some insights, we're joined now by a gentleman who is the CEO and president of Bethany Christian Services. By the way, it is the nation's largest global Christian social services organization that deals with at-risk children and foster care, emergency care, adoption services. They also even reach out to refugees and immigrants, both locally here in the United States and across the globe. Chris, Chris Polsky has also been with World Relief and World Vision. And Chris, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Oh, thanks for having me today. Chris, this is an issue that I know uh, perhaps the average American doesn't pause to really think about, um, but I think it bears some serious thought and consideration, and that is some of the most vulnerable. We on our program have talked about how the impact of COVID-19 has put greater stress on certain vulnerable communities like the homeless, for example. But I guess few of us have really thought about the nation's millions of at-risk children who are in difficult circumstances. Maybe they've recently been removed from a home because of neglect or abuse, and suddenly they're in the middle of what almost seems to be sort of a a, a legal no-man's land, at least for the moment. Well, we've got two things going on there. Um, yeah, kids that were vulnerable suddenly became more vulnerable. So their fragile lives um, suddenly became more difficult. And that, that refers to kids that are in foster care, but also kids who are maybe experiencing abuse and neglect, and we're just not seeing it right now because everyone's in, in lockdown. And of course, with that, uh, this has really stymied the ability of many of the normal safety nets that are in place for them to kind of do their jobs. I'm thinking about child protective services that would do in-home visits, social workers, people of this sort that are there on an ongoing basis to make sure that these most vulnerable children are being cared for, that their needs are being met under, even under, well, quite frankly, normal circumstances that are difficult for them, that has got to raise now the, 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 the ire of concern to a pretty significant level, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, we've had to be really creative with how we do our work because before we would always go into homes and, and you know, do the normal visits or also the visits between the, the child and the parents. Our goal is always try to reunify whenever possible um, a child who's in foster care with their bio parents or parents. Um, so we've had to be very creative. We've actually um, been using a lot of telemental health. Um, we've been using televisits. Um, using iPads, computers, and uh, yeah, so our world has suddenly changed and we've had to use technology to um, try to keep things moving because we want to make sure that these kids have connections with their families. We need to make sure that they're in a good, loving environment um, right now. So we've had to use technology to the extreme. And, you know, I think of a moment when children under normal circumstances that are in these these vulnerable areas um, that are already facing emotional, spiritual challenges, and now with all the uncertainty, trying to explain to an 8-year-old, a 15-year-old, what's going on in the world around them when everything on the news every night is all death and loss of life, um, and, and the opportunity to be able to keep those families connected, to have that kind of support system is so critically important at a time like this, and yet it sounds like you find yourself really challenged with the exception of the availability of technology to keep those connections open. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's been, it's been a, a, you know, a recent change. It was a fast change, and uh, we're just an environment we're having to live with. So you're right. These kids have faced you know, um, abuse and neglect. Um, they're coming from very vulnerable homes. So their lives and their their view on life has been very fragile. So 
Um, yeah, and then you add this 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 virus on top of it. So kids who are already in in need of love, of care, counseling, um, wraparound services, um, it is more difficult to get those services to them. And I think that's where really we've had to innovate because um, we want to make sure that those kids are getting those needed services. Um, we would prefer we could do it face to face. We want to make sure that you know we are we, they do have connection with people, um, with their counselors, with their parents. And that's why we've been going back to technology as much as possible. Um, we're hoping this, again, won't last forever. But I think it's also increasing the speed with which we're able to connect with clients, with kids, and with families. Um, so I think at the end of this crisis, which we pray for will end soon, um, but we're preparing for the long run, our business will look much different. So um, technology will be a much greater part of, of, of that world. Um, but we still want to make sure that there is the human touch and also the spiritual touch um, in this work. In terms of the, the legal machine itself, help us understand there, and I realize that's not what you guys do, but you interact with it on an ongoing basis, on a daily basis. And when I think of things like child protective services, the court system, we've heard stories that many courts nationwide are completely shut down with the exception of emergency situations. And I don't know what that a court necessarily sees the returning of a child back to their their natural parents as an emergency or not. But in light of all that's happening, happened in terms of of having to maintain social distancing, do you find cases where things that need urgent attention by the courts are failing to get that attention? And what of the job of social workers? Kids are in circumstances where sometimes maybe it's a hotbed because the parents are dealing with drug abuse, or maybe there's financial pressures there and the parents take it out on the kids. Now, all of a sudden, we've not added just the financial pressure, but this close-quartered environment where getting out of the house or sending the kids over to grandma and grandpa's is no longer an option. How are those issues exacerbated the challenges that many of these children face normally? Sure. So kind of on a micro scale or a quick version. Um, so we get children that are, um, have been removed from their families for a reason. Typically um, it's for abuse or neglect. And how people find out that the children are being abused or neglected is um, usually through the school. School sees it. They report it to the, the, the Department of Children Services in the state. Um, they investigate that. The child's taken out. What Bethany does is we recruit foster homes. So Bethany recruits foster homes typically through the church. Um, we work through by with the church whenever possible to be the hands and feet of Christ. And then um, we place the child in that foster home after they've been trained. It's a several-month process to get trained and certified, and they do background checks. And then that child stays with that foster family until um, he is he or she is able to be reunited with um, the, the biological family. We say bio family. Um, and that's, that's the case about 70% of the time. Um, but that's not always the case. So then we would look at foster care adoption, and we'd also recruit through by with the church um, to find homes um, for um, children that are in need of a forever home. So right now you've got about 440,000 kids in the foster care system in the United States. And typically, the court system is working, and they're trying to reunite the, the child with the, the, the parents. But um, as we've seen, it's kind of grounded to a halt. So it's gone very slow. Um, it's difficult for um, courts to do anything. Um, of course, we're on kind of self-quarantine in, in most states throughout the United States. So, um, yeah, it's become much more difficult. And I think what we're seeing is that the courts are slower and also, this is drawn out much longer than anyone has expected. So the foster parents who have agreed to take in these children 
it's, it's going on much longer than they had ever imagined. We've got stressors from um, the court system. We've got stressors um, from where these kids came from. You've got stressors from the, 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 the virus. And then also you've got these, these wonderful parents, foster parents who have stepped up. It's continuing, and it's um, not coming to an end anytime soon. So what we're, we're expecting is that at the end of this, you're going to have children that, first of all, are, um, and it's, this is not the foster homes, but in, in regular homes that are, are facing abuse and neglect that are not being reported because their teachers are not seeing this or social services are not seeing this. Um, so it's not being reported. So children are not being taken out of that environment. At the same time, you have foster parents who are taking care of kids for a much longer period than maybe they had imagined. So we're going to see burnout from a lot of these parents when um, the, the child is able to be reunited with uh, the, the family. So it's almost like a V. You've got kids that are going to be coming into the system it's like a tidal wave. And then you've got um, foster parents which are going to be leaving the system. So it's, it's a perfect storm brooming, uh, brooming coming about um, that we just want to get ready for now. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that these kids are taken care of um, in their foster homes. And we're, we're, we're doing a pretty good job with technology. But at the same time, we want to get ready for this tidal wave, the tidal wave of kids that we believe are coming into the foster care system once they're able to um, go back to school, once they're able to uh, interact with their friends because that's when things get reported. So it's a perfect storm. And clearly is what you describe right now, even the steps that are being taken to um, provide short-term resolution, um, they are indeed just that, short-term. Technology is great, but um, it, there are things that technology cannot replace like the human touch. Along with that, as you suggest, uh, what may very well be a significant spike as time goes on and as shelter-in-place rules uh, continue to be there and financial pressures and the closeness um, in a family that perhaps was already dysfunctional before this happened. And now all of this added pressure has been put into the scenario that creates this pressure cooker that perhaps has no relief valve. And sadly, sometimes the only relief valve is things being taken out on the children. Chris Polonski is with us today. He is the president of Bethany Christian Services. Information available online at bethany.org. That's bethany.org. As Chris describes this perfect storm, when we come back, maybe in the midst of that storm, it's an ideal opportunity for the church. We'll talk about that next as our conversation continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Our special guest in this segment is the president and CEO of Bethany Christian Services, Chris Polowski. Chris has been involved with the organization for many years now. And um, if you're not familiar with the work of Bethany Christian Services, they are one of the world's leading Christian social service organizations. They specialize in at-risk children providing things like or arranging for foster care, emergency care, adoption services. They also have a component that caters to the needs of refugees and immigrants, and their footprint is not just here nationally, but globally as well. We've been talking about the pressure of COVID-19, the quarantine, and all that it's brought to bear on at-risk children in America today. Upwards of 440,000, I think you mentioned, Chris, in the last segment, that are in the foster care system today. And as you mentioned, 
parents that took the kids on a short-term basis that find out that's going to be lengthening because there's no home available to move them to, um, children that are going to be coming into the system as parents are not dealing well with the pressure brought to bear by COVID-19, take it out on the kids. And so it is, as you described, that perfect storm. But I'm thinking in the midst of that perfect storm may be a perfect opportunity for the church to step up and significantly get involved. Talk to us a bit about the partnership that exists between Bethany Christian Services and the body of Christ and, and how you can help essentially raise an army to get involved in making a difference in the lives of at-risk children. Sure, that would be. I'd, I'd love that. Um, you know, we're in the middle of this perfect storm, and the world is stressed out, and these vulnerable kids and families are facing stressors. Um, it's a challenging time. This is probably a challenging time that we haven't seen in at least my generation. Um, and this is the perfect time. This is the exact moment that the church can step up and do something about it. I used to say that Christ called us to be in the middle of the mess. I mean, because Bethany works with vulnerable kids in the U.S. We work, you know, with immigrants and refugees. We work in uh, refugee camps globally. We work in the middle of the mess. And I believe that's where Christ was calling his followers to be. And somebody actually said to me one day, I said, actually, Chris, that's where Jesus is. He's in the middle of the mess. And I said, you're right. And he wants us to be there with him. So we've got this mess going on right now. Um, specifically in the U.S., there's this perfect storm for foster care. We've got parents um, who are going to be going, uh, foster parents who are going to be going out of the system, and we're going to see a decline in foster parents. And the need is just going to be increasing with the stresses that are out there. I mean, 6.6 million people, was it last week, applied for unemployment insurance. So vulnerable families have suddenly become more vulnerable, more fragile. And typically we see that abuse and neglect are taken out of the kids during stressful times. Um, so we feel it's a great time for the church to step up. And I just say, I would say, do something. There's so many things that can be done. Um, so during the time of this virus, it could be even a small thing. Um, it could be checking on your neighbor to make sure your neighbor's okay and has groceries or toilet paper or whatever. Um, it could be checking on that foster family that you know and making sure that their needs are being met because it's a stressful time for them and they've got extra kids or kids in their home and they need, need help from you. And it's, it's great for a church to do, to do wraparound services for a foster family. Or I would encourage people to step up and become a foster parent. Um, this is the time of need. It takes several months to go through the process. We believe this is going to be like a V. You're going to see people leaving the system, uh, but you're going to see more kids coming into the system once the doors are open again and kids are able to be identified as abused and neglected. So it's the perfect time for the church to step up and be the hands and feet of Christ during this vulnerable, uh, it's a scary time. It's a perfect time not to be scared or act out of fear. It's a perfect time for the church to, to act out of faith and belief and know that our, our everything resides in Christ. Do you anticipate a spike in the need for social services for, for certain um, categories? I think, for example, of a lot of the vulnerable kids that are reaching the age when right now, unfortunately, they're coming close to being essentially, uh, you know, phased out of the foster care system because they're of that age. And so mm -hmm. now they come into a, a very scary world where suddenly... Um, employment opportunities are significantly impacted. There's already stress on social services because of so many people dealing with so many issues. How, how critical of an area is that going to be as a category for the church? That has always been probably the most fragile population out there. 
Um, I can't remember the statistics off the top of my head, but I want to say, so when uh, a girl ages out of foster care and she's not involved with a foster family or a family, um, I think it's around a 75% chance she'll become pregnant by the age of 22. There's, uh, I want to say it's a greater than a 30% chance that she'll become involved um, in sex trade. Um, for boys, there's a greater than a 50% chance, and please don't quote me, there's a greater, I believe there's a greater than a 50% chance that um, that child who ages out without contact or relationship with a family will end up incarcerated by the age of 22. So, I mean, the statistics are horrible. Um, and right now, with services lacking, foster homes lacking, kids have suddenly become more vulnerable, especially those kids that are going to be aging out of the foster care system. So um, it's so important for the church to step up and be the hands and feet of Christ with these older kids, because I think a lot of people are willing to, to take in a baby or, you know, maybe a, a one-year-old, which is great. There's definitely a need for that. What's tough are these older kids that have been from home to home to home. Um, they need foster homes, and they also need forever homes. So I think it was last year um, there was a need for 123,000 homes um, for kids that were, um, their, their parental rights had been terminated, meaning that they could not return home because their homes were so uh, abusive and they were not allowed to go back there. So the, the number is very similar right now. So right now, there's around 120,000 kids that are in need of home. And they're not uh, usually the, the, the babies. They're usually little older kids. And those are the kids that really need a forever home. They need the, the, they need the church. They need the church to step up and, and just wrap around these kids. As you point out, Chris, for those of us that are aware of families that are maybe on our block or in our church that are currently foster parenting, that may be facing some challenges right now, that maybe we can lend a little bit of a, a helping hand, there's an ideal opportunity for the church to step forward in that arena. But let's think long term. As you indicate, uh, th this could be the, the lull before the storm. And even under the best of circumstances on any given day, having 440,000 children across America in the foster parenting system is, in my mind, 440,000 children too many. For those listening that say, you know, we, we've kind of toyed around with this idea, but I, I don't, we don't know where to go to find out more information. We're not even sure if we're really cut out for this, but we'd like to find out more. What resources are available through Bethany for families out there to consider whether or not even becoming a foster parent might be for them. Sure. I would encourage people to go to www.bethany.org or call 1-800-BETHANY, and we will walk beside you as you go through this. Maybe you want to volunteer and help out a family um, who is going through foster care and just provide support. Maybe you want to become um, a foster parent. Maybe you want to become an adoptive parent. But going through that whole process, we will walk beside you step by step. We don't want you to feel like you're out there alone. Um, as you enter the system, we're there with you. As you're going through it, we're there with you. And we just want to be with you um, this entire time. So please check it out. Multiple layers in which the church can be involved. Praying certainly is the top one. Reaching out to families that you know that currently are engaged in foster parenting in your neighborhood or in your church can be another great way to get involved and then to prayerfully consider. Check it out. See whether or not this might be right for you and your family. Information available again by calling 1-800-BETHANY. That's 1-800-BETHANY or simply go online to bethany.org. That's bethany.org.
And Chris, before our time wraps up, anything else to add to parents out there that for themselves are struggling with maybe some issues at home in relationship to children and what's going on in the world around us today? Sure. We want to be a resource. So I would say, you know, check out Bethany.org. But also, um, it's just a great opportunity for the church to identify, you know, fragile families in their community, especially now. This is the time for the church, the big seat, the church to step up and be the hands and feet of Christ. I look at this as an opportunity. It's a horrible situation we're in, but what a great opportunity to be a living witness of, of Christ, of what Christ has put us here to be. So I would encourage people, followers of Jesus, to step up, and I would say people who are struggling, hey, we're here for you. There are resources, and there are people who want to walk beside you. There are people who want to help you. There are people who want to pray for you, and there are people who want to go through life with you. You're not alone. Chris Polosky is the president and CEO of Bethany Christian Services. More information available by calling toll-free 800-BETHANY. That's 800-B-E-T-H-A-N-Y or going online to bethany.org. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.